we are on this side of the door. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness. Welcome back. I am here again with Mike Clellan, author of The Messengers. And this is a continuation of our prior interview. Now, you were checking Google Maps after you saw a structure on a hill in Utah. And when you did, the structure was no longer there. The structure was not there. There was no structure there. And that was what I called it. I called it a structure on a hilltop. It looked like a water tank. So it looked like a cylinder, round cylinder. There was a few more things that happened that night, but when I got home and it was not on Google Maps, I was like, isn't that interesting? It wasn't on Google Maps. I did an illustration of it, really clear illustration of it, and I was standing by my desk. I actually called MUFON, Mutual UFO Network, and said, do you have any UFO reports like from last night? I've since called the Sheriff's Department, neither met anything. So I'm like in the afternoon, this was technically the next day. The night of March 10th, I saw the round structure on the hill and coyote at night and the light behind the bush. The next day was March 11th. And then March 11th, I'm standing by my desk and I have this like the psychic flash. And I saw very clearly a map of Utah, Southern Utah, with a line and a map, straight line and a map and three push pin markers, obviously one at each end and one sort of in the middle. And I like, that's weird, right? So like, just like, whoosh, like visionary, like hyper-focus, it lasted one second, just whoosh, whoosh. that's all I got. I sat right at the desk, I sat down, I had Google Maps open, made the map. So okay, I know where this first event was. This was last night, right there, boop, boop, on the map, there's this. I know where the other event was, it was in Dolores, Colorado. That happened in 2000, doing this off the top of my head. 2010, so three years earlier, and I was camping and driving around the West with a good friend, Natasha. She and I met at a UFO conference. She's from Germany, and she would come to UFO conferences, fly to America to come to the UFO conferences, and we would hang out together. It was great. And then we ended up doing a wonderful camping trip together throughout the desert Southwest. Just tons of fun, beautiful terrain, great, really great experience. But we so here's the, the reason to tell okay so this is a good story but it takes a while to tell so i pull into this we're driving around 2010 we pull into this town of cortez colorado mm-hmm. which is we had been to mesa verde earlier that day and looked at the cliff dwellings there mesa verde national monument and so we when we're driving it's on a hill you come down the hill and my brakes are acting funny like just something up brakes are acting just a little funny and so I, we pull into Cortez and I smell the front of my car and I'm like, oh, something's wrong with the brakes. It's you just smell that something is bad. And so we asked some guy in the main street, like, where do I go to get in this? Oh, here's the he's the guy, the small town. And they go to this guy. It was I live in a small town in the West. I kind of got the vibe. I'm like, oh, he's the guy you go to. So we went there and so they take the car in the back. And a little while later, a guy comes out and he's literally got the oily rag. And he looks at me and he goes, Well, I can't let you leave town or you'll die. And I'm like, oh, okay, what does that mean? You gotta fill me in more than you gotta give me a little more than that. And he says, well, your brakes are failing. And and if I let you leave town, 
and you got into an accident, I would be liable. Mm. Like, okay, what does this mean? It's like, well, the parts are not that big a deal and it's a pretty easy fix, but it's going to take five days before we can get the parts in. And then the guy who ran the shop, he kind of took me aside and said, I know the people who rent cars. I'll give you a really, I can talk to them. So we got a really good deal on a rental car. And then we just drove around for five days. Now that night, we asked someone, where can we sleep on the side of the road? Where's a good spot to camp? And we asked this woman at a coffee shop. And she said, oh, the town of Dolores, Colorado has got a great spot. So we just followed her directions and we pulled in and then we just drove down this little dirt road and it was great. It was great just out in the tall pinion pines there. It was just great. So we found the spot, we set up the tent. And so Natasha and I go, we had pizza that night and we went to sleep now. At some point in the tent, we both woke up screaming, like screaming, scared like I've never been scared before in my life. Now, I'm a professional outdoor camper, like I've camped in a lot of tents. I've never felt anything like this. Both of us, like fully primal screaming. Was there a stimulus? From that, that, isn't that a just... good question? Yeah, there was no stimulus that we knew of, but so it happened, and all of a sudden I'm like, <gasps> look, we can get out of here, we can get out. And I didn't want to leave. It. Like, we can get out, we can like get to the car, we can pack everything up in the car, we can get out of here, we can go, we can find a hotel, we can get out of here. And then we were just like, both of us were just I literally like felt like I climbed on top of her, like someone threw a hand grenade in the tent. Like, and it was just like I thought the way I've described it is synthetic fear. Like it was fear that was not on any rational level. If a grizzly bear had ripped open the tent and put its jaws around my throat, I would not have been as scared as I was in that instant. And it lasted for maybe 10 minutes, and then we're both asleep. Went right from total freak out to both of us, same time, instantaneous, seemed like same time. Now here's where it gets murky. I, I'm sharing my memory. I will say, I do not think this is what truly took place, but it feels like just whoosh, I was asleep, I was out. And the next thing I know, I'm having this elevator up feeling like, and I'm looking around the tent and I look over at this corner of the tent and there was a, what I call a floating pizza pan shape. It was just a circle, like a pizza pan size thing it would have been about this big, 18 inches across, maybe with a single dot in the middle. It was kind of translucent and it was kind of glowing. And so I'm floating There's by Natasha's feet. I float up, I go right through the, there's, I don't bump into the roof of the tent just keep on flowing. I'm all of a sudden I'm in this white realm. And I say to myself, as I'm floating up, I say, I have to remember this. I have to remember this. I have to remember this. And that changes to, am I on a table? Am I on a table? Am I on a table? <laughs> and then, and there's nothing to see. It just feels like white, nothing but white, white, nothing but white. And then I have this, Natasha's from Germany. She's got a German accent. And I heard with her German accent says, Mike, you're floating. And then whoosh, I'm back in the tent. And I don't remember why I would like, and then I was asleep, but I, so I don't remember like being back in the tent, being awake. It was just like, whoosh, and then out. Like this was dreamlike, but it wasn't a dream. It might have been a dream, but it was like no dream I've ever had before. So did this feel physical or did it feel like an astral like <sighs> OBE sort of? Maybe. It felt weird. It felt like, so there's a term in the UFO lore called the Oz factor. We're going to get to a side. So bring me back. If I get sidetracked, I'm going to, so, cause I'm easy for me to get like, so I start telling a story and I, I'm lost and then it takes me 
it takes a lot of work to get me back to the story again. But so I talked to this one woman, her name is Brigitte, and she had a powerful UFO experience in California in a convertible in LA, traffic, low plane flying saucer craft right above her car, plane with bright sunshine right above her car, no one else saw it, right by the Capitol Records building in LA. So she described this, and I've been fighting to describe this feeling. Remember I told the story about the beings out the window at night? Mm-hmm. I had this feeling, the same feeling, same feeling floating up, I had the same feeling. And it's sometimes called the Oz factor. Researchers call it the Oz factor. And without any prompting from me, this woman, Brigitte, tells me the story. And she said, you know what it was like? You know when you take two magnets and they go click and they click together and you pull them apart and you turn 190 degrees and you try to push them together and they won't go together. They repel each other. And you try to push them together and they won't go together. They're repelling. And, And there's nothing to see. But in between those two magnets is this warbly sort of energy. Like Mm -hmm. you can feel it. You know it's there. There's nothing to see. And she said, you know what it was like being that close to you? It was like being in between those magnets. And I was like, oh, I know. Like I knew right then and there. You know. I, I know. Like we're both talking about the same thing. That is a perfect explanation for it. So you asked, is it, was it like an out-of-body experience? Was it a dream? It was like being between the magnets in that warbly little pocket of energy. That's as good as I can give it to you. So the next morning we wake up and I'm like, Natasha, what happened last night? What happened? And she's like, I, I, I just, I saw a face. Like, what do you mean you saw a face? Oh God, this to tell the story properly gets crazy. Okay, she said I to see a face. 2008, I woke up in the middle of the night. I was camping, working for the school. I went outside and the full moon, I looked up at the full moon and there's a cloud around the full moon. I, I, something was up, like this halo. It was like some distortion in my eye. And so I went to see an eye doctor because I was all of a sudden, all lights at night had this distortion and it's since mellowed out greatly. And the, they looked at my eye and said, you have a cataract in your right eye. It's a tiny cataract and they showed it to me. Now, leading up to this, and when I had that cataract, I could kind of squint into the sunshine. You know, I can kind of like laying on the beach and kind of look through your eyelashes. I could see a little being and it looked like a gray alien sitting in the lotus position. That's the image in my eye, right? So when I saw this, I had already started the blog and I was like, oh God, now I have to draw this thing and put it on my <laughs> blog and everyone's going to think I'm crazy. Like no one can see it but me. So I drew it as best as I could. There's a pencil sketch I did, and then I colorized the pencil sketch. The pencil sketch is more accurate. The colorized thing was it's a little bit refracted. It was like trying to draw the refracted sparkles in a bottom of a Coke bottle or something. But it was an image that looked sort of like me. It was bald. It actually had sideburns, this image. And I drew the sideburns and had these kind of, my eyes can get kind of wide at times and had this big blank eye expression. It was a very neutral image but it was essentially a caricature of me that looked like a gray alien that also looked like a death skull a little bit, but it was totally symmetrical and only I could see it. It also had two circles. And later on, when I put it on the blog, the image on the blog, someone contacted me who also had UFO contact experiences. And he said, you know what that is? That looks like the Vesca Pisces. Do you know what Vesca Pisces is? So, you know, the flower of life image, like the menu at any vegetarian restaurant has got the flower of life image. It's this two overlapping circles and and then they're multiple overlapping circles and they make this very distinct pattern. It's called the flower of life. 
the first two circles that overlap. Here, I'll do it right now. I'm an illustrator, I can do this, right? So, you get two circles. There we go. Can you see that? So they got two circles, yeah. that's a little sloppy. But so what happens is that if the center of one circle touches mm -hmm. the outer edge of the other circle, so both circles are touching the exact center of the other circle, that almond-shaped image in the middle Mm -hmm. It's called a Vesca Pisces. It's considered the centerpiece of sacred geometry. And if you turn it this way, it's the Jesus fish. Yep. The image in my eye had this Vesca Pisces. Now, so the, let's get back to the pizza pie thing in there. So the pizza pie image in the dream, I call it a dream, in the visionary experience, was a circle with a single dot in it. That's called a monad. That's actually the uh, astrologers use that as symbolic of the sun. The ancient Pythagoreans used it as what they called the ultimate source, the source of the all. I mean, it's not a stretch to say God, right? The source of the all. So that's a symbol for God. Why did I have an image of God, the source of God in my experience where I was floating up? Now, Natasha said, I saw a face. And I said, what, what, like, what do you mean you saw a face? Like, explain the face you saw. I don't get it. She said, well, if you know what it looked like, it looked like that thing in your eye. Because she had already seen the blog post. It looked like that thing you drew, that thing in your eye. Now, when I, the night before, this is tough to tell a story off the cuff, especially when there's all these, like, disparate things in it. When I was floating <laughs> off the floor the night before, I looked at that pizza pan Right? So pizza pan, floating pizza pan, translucent pizza pan in the tent with a single dot in the middle. I said, that looks like the thing in my eye. Didn't look anything like the thing in my eye, but that's the thought I had. I, doc I was all to copious notes. I wrote all this down in my journal at the time. So I float up, I float out of the tent, have all the experience back in the tent. The next morning I asked Natasha, what happened last night? She said, I saw the thing in your eye. And I was like, where was it? And she points exactly in the corner of the tent where the floating pizza pan was. And that's what started her screaming. Now, I get up, I walk around outside, it's a beautiful morning, we're in Southern Colorado, magical, right? The mountain air, the birds are chirping, bright sunny day, I have no residual fear, anything. And later that day I took my shirt off, we were camping, car camping, kind of grubby and such like that. So I took my shirt off. I had a scratch that started at my left shoulder and went all the way down to my belly button. And we were hiking around with the cactus. And so I could have been scratched. I think I would have remembered this. So it looked like a single cat claw or a single rose thorn had just scratched from about my, would have been my left shoulder down to my belly button. But when you looked at it closely, it wasn't a scratch at all. It was tiny little fluid-filled blisters, one after another. Like if you filled a pen, an ink pen, with instead of ink, with poison ivy juice. And it was a really fine tip pen, and you just drew poison ivy juice down someone, and then you know a couple hours later, you get these little bumps. That's what it looked like. About a week later, I took a shower and it washed off. And Natasha was like, 
was like, you know, it washed off. There was no scratch. Never itched. Never felt like anything. Never pain. And as soon as it washed off, Natasha said, oh, we should have taken a picture of it. And I said, so too. And it's like, well, like we're both. Natasha's kind of a UFO. She was working you know, volunteer work as a UFO investigator in Germany at the time. I was doing mm -hmm. UFO investigation. Like we knew full well we should have taken a picture of it. It never crossed our mind until it was gone. Now, later that afternoon, I could technically the next day we went down to, we needed something to do. So we went down to Canyon de Shea, which is across the Arizona border in Northern Arizona. It's connected to the Navajo reservation. And we had a tour there and we actually had a sweat lodge ceremony with a native American there. And it was really beautiful and really powerful. So the sweat lodge ceremony and the theme of the ceremony, someone said we were like, we made a phone call. Do you know Miriam Delicato? She's written a book. She's had a lot of contact experiences. So we contacted her and said, she was familiar with this. She spent a lot of time in this country. She said, hey, we're down here in the Four Corners area. We got five days. I won't have my car back for five days. She said, you go to meet my friend Howard at this campground in Canyon de Chez. And you have a sweat lodge experience with him. So we did. It was so wonderful. Was so I wish I could say it was transcendent and blew my mind, but it was just this really wonderful experience. The theme of it was surrender. So you enter the, the little sweat lodge, just mm -hmm. a three bars with some blankets over the top, hot rocks, and you, you enter the, the womb and then you are reborn and you come out. So I had a death and birth experience. And the theme was surrender. So this whole story starts with a guy saying, you can't leave town or you'll die. And then it ends with death and rebirth experience with the, the hands. He was, he's not a shaman, so I don't want to call him a shaman, but like a, an ancient ritual, an ancient ceremony. So which is profound set of, I can't tell that story without including it. Now, so that was the outside line on the map, two lines, right? So you take a piece of string. Here's my little thing. My little earbud cord so you take a piece of string and pull the string tight right any two points you can make a straight line right so there was something in the middle in also with natasha 2011 we were coming back from a ufo conference just like before driving around the west just like before one year later we went to there's a place called the birch rail road in southern utah it's beautiful beautiful i'd been there before like oh i had actually never been there proper but i heard about it and i'd been through the little town of boulder before but so we went down the birch Trail road we found the best spot to sleep out oh my gosh this birch Trail road is this empty road that connects two very small towns long road and it's a dirt road for most of it so but we were on the asphalt part and i had been driving all day we'd been to the conference and natasha was coming from germany G natasha was jet lagged i was tired so i'm like we found this spot this great spot to sleep on the side of the birch trail road no traffic i mean like nothing there and it was one of those magical nights just a trillion stars and natasha wakes me up and says mike i can't sleep like what do i do so, mm, take a walk it's pretty like the stars are gorgeous she says, really? Like, sure. Like, is it safe? I'm like, oh, Southern, this part of Utah is pretty safe. So she's like, okay. So she walks and I lay down to go to sleep. Now, I lay down. She's walking away. I listen to a great horned owl in the tree right next to my head. It was so loud. I don't know why I heard it. I cannot separate this from the coyote 
next to my sleeping spot in southern Utah on March 10th, 2013. So loud, hooting, great horned owl, unmistakable call. This is in the bush right next to me. I, I sit up. I cannot see this thing. It doesn't make sense why I can't see it. It felt like it was so close. There's no moon, but the starlight was glorious. So I'm lying there listening to this thing, and I drift in and out of sleep. It's just magic, just magic. I just felt blessed. I felt the same way about listening to the coyote, too. Now, Natasha is walking down the road. She says, I didn't need a flashlight. She had a flashlight in her pocket. It's like, it's so beautiful. She said, it was so magical. I felt like I was sparkling. And then she looks and there's this, someone's off of, there's like someone with a flashlight on the side of the road. There's some like thing right next to the side of the road. There's like a dot. And she says, at first thought it was someone with a flashlight, but no, it was a floating white orb floating along. And it, then it kind of got bigger and it kind of got big as a beach ball. And then it poof, it like explodes into bright light and disappears. Now she's scared. She runs back to me, which she wasn't very far. We've sat on the map and we said, you were there. I was there. We were close. She didn't go that far. And she runs back to me and says, Mike, we got to go. Like, what's up? And say, I just saw this light. Now I'm scared. Let's get out of here. And she tells us story. And we're all like way out in the middle of nowhere. Eh, it's pretty scary. Let's get out of here. So we pack up the car and we left. And as we drove, I'm like, did you hear the owl? She's like, no. Like, this is like, I don't know, less than a quarter of a mile at max from where you were. Like, wow, quiet, windless, empty desert night. Should have heard it loud, as perfectly clear as could be. She never heard the owl. It was booming next to my head. I cautiously speculate, I don't know, but I cautiously speculate that there was no owl there. And I cautiously speculate that there was no coyote there the night of March 10th, 2013, that these were some sort of, what would you call like a auditory screen memory. So owls and coyotes are highly charged totem animals. Mm -hmm. So here we have three events, right? So I put this on the map, the skull that's way back in my story where I was, I was standing by my desk. I had a psychic vision of a map with three dots. Yep. I have the map there. I zoom in. Okay. This is right where I slept. My sleeping pad was right there. You can see the sand. You can see the bush. I know right where, like my sleeping pad was right there. So I put a little push pin right there and then I push the button and the yellow line comes up and it, it bisected where I was lying. Now turn the clock back, you know, 15, 10 years ago or something like that. If to do this kind of thing or the, turn the clock back from 2009 to do that kind of map reading, you would have had to go to the map store and get a really big map of Southern Utah. And then you would lay it down on the, the kitchen floor and then you would take a big long ruler and then you would take a sharp, sharp pencil and you would trace a line. The sharpest pencil, right? That, that line might be miles thick. Mm -hmm. I could zoom in on this map, make that line one pixel thick. It went right through my sleeping spot. So there's, so three events. And it, when I saw that yellow line, I had been awash in doubt for most of my life that these UFO experiences mean anything. I was not going there. I was like, I'd found any excuse to say, not me, no way, not me, ain't going there. I've never had this UFO. It's like, I can tell a UFO story doesn't involve me. No way. And this was like, you know, I just said, it's over. My old life is over. My new life has begun. This is real. Nobody faked this. 
Like this is not coincidence, right? I have a psychic vision in my mind to make a map with three dots. And as soon as I do, I realize that like these three events are like connected with a laser clarity that, so what happened was it felt like since the night with the owls with Kristen, mm -hmm. 2006, jump forward to 2013, so seven years later, I said 95% of my waking hours were spent wondering if I'd gone insane. That's maybe an exaggeration, but not far off. I had a voice in my head. This tape loop was just stuck. Like, this can't happen. This can't happen to you. This can't happen. This can't happen to you. This is not real. This can't happen. When I saw that line that just disengaged and never turned back on. And though my life isn't perfect, let me tell you, wow, I was able to proceed forward with less anxiety because that mm -hmm. tape loop wasn't constantly playing. So I call that my confirmation event. And that happened, you know, that happened. It wasn't the round structure on the hill. It was the lining things up on the map. That So there, there's a super long-winded story. And you got to really, that was a pretty good retelling. Ooh, <laughs> so there's a million coincidences. Like to really, to tell, like to tell the story fully, like it just goes on and on and on and on and on. So just coincidence. Here's one. Natasha, she was with me at the night in Dolores, Colorado floating out of the tent and the face floating in the tent and the pizza pan. She was with me in the middle with the owl hooting and then the floating orb in the desert. But I was all alone on March 10th, 2013. March 10th is Natasha's birthday. How's that? Like, like the, everything connected to this feels like has that kind of intensity to it. So, you know, there's an owl, a shamanic experience in a coyote, like highly charged events. There was an owl at one event. There was a shamanic experience the same day with her, or let's say an ancient ritual the same day, and then a the owl coyote and ancient ritual. So these stories just that, and this feels like it was so uniquely tailored to me, to my I like making maps. I love sleeping out under the stars. I love owls. I love the mythic quality to these kinds of stories. So I'm about to blow your mind right now. Okay. If you take that date, 3-10-2013, you add the digits so that they always revert down to a number less than 10, you get to one. Okay. So three plus 10, or, or sorry, just just add the, the digits. So three plus one plus zero, right? That gets you four. Plus two, that gets you six. Plus zero, six. Plus one, seven. Plus three, 10. And then one plus zero, zero. Yeah. There's your monad. Yeah, that's weird. We were camped in Dolores, Colorado. Natasha studied with Dolores Cannon, which is Dolores CO. That's a small one, but it just yeah, goes these, on and like, on. Yeah, yeah, these synchronicities are bizarre. So now, did you have a subsequent memory about 
an experience you had, I think at the moment you were near that structure where you were. You're talking about, I, I was meditating, which I almost never do. Is this, mm -hmm. So I was meditating. I was listening to, this is so funny, all these things, like the, the number of people who contact me that are actual, that have UFO contact experiences. People tell the stories of like, oh, I'm missing time and UFOs and, you know, taken into ships. These people contact me. And some of the key points, like the key clues that I have in my story, put this on a blog. Obviously, people who've had those experiences might be interested in my blog. So there's like a little bit of filtering that takes place there and self-selection that takes place there. But a guy who had UFO contact experiences sent me tapes, which are from the Monroe Institute. Hemisync. Hemisync synchronization. I can't remember the guy's name. Bob Monroe, Bill Monroe. What's his name? The Robert Monroe, Robert, 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 Monroe. Robert Monroe. So the hemisynchronistic tape. So I'm listening to the hemisync. And Robert Monroe was a audio engineer, radio audio, audio engineer, and a radio announcer, yeah. like in the 1930s. So we had like kind of a radio announcer voice and kind of an old time radio announcer voice. So he did this kind of simple meditation, like leading you through the meditation, guided meditation. So he said, in his voice, in his beautiful radio voice, he said, you know, now for this, you know, event take the two fingers on your right hand and you will touch these to your forehead. When you touch your forehead, the answer you have been seeking will appear. I'm like totally calm. I'm sitting in my living room. There's no issue at all. This was after all this. And it's now touch your finger tips of your right hand to your forehead. So I touch it and boom, I get this image of me lying down on the side of the road there in the Southern Utah under the hilltop with a big round structure. And there's an image of me just like click, click, just whoosh, whoosh. I get it for one second. And then unmistakable, it's me lying on the side of the road surrounded by what I think are either five or six skinny gray aliens. Now, does that make it true? I don't know. But it, it was a very gentle way to be presented with that because I was in this calm state. So they, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was essentially, I have it written down on my blog and I written about it but and i've transcribed that little bit and there's an audio clip of it on my blog so you can listen to it but it's him saying essentially you know the answers you seek will be provided to you when you touch your fingers to your forehead so yeah so i had that and then the hypnosis thing that we talked about earlier is all tied into this too yeah i don't think we did we get into that yet no we haven't gotten into that yet yeah so yeah let's get into that this is so, 2018 right it's 2018. Yeah. So I did it. So here's this where it gets weird. So I did a hypnosis session in 2017. Are you familiar with Mary Rodwell? Yes. I actually interviewed someone that she had put through hypnosis in Australia who's had Elsa Dillon has had like her whole family has had mm -hmm. really exotic contact experiences. Probably the strangest, I mean, not, I wouldn't say strangest, but the most atypical, like very different than the usual stories about grays and things like that, but the whole family. But yes, sorry, that's a long way of saying yes. I know who Mary Rodwell was. So, so, so Mary Rodwell, I was living in upstate New York for a while and Mary Rodwell was visiting, there was like a gathering of people in New Hampshire and some people that I had worked on. So I had published both books at that point. I had published my first hidden experience book and my second book, which was, excuse me, my first book called The Messengers, my second book called Stories from the Messengers. And some of the people that I wrote about were going to be there. So I was like, I drove there. It was pretty, not a bad drive from upstate New York to New Hampshire there. And was at a person's home. 
and Mary Rodwell was there and I called her in advance. I said, hey, if it works out, I would love to have a hypnosis session. She said, well, let's do it early the next morning when you're here, when everyone's still asleep. So we had dinner and we had talk, we all hung out. It was a great evening and met a lot of folks that I always wanted to meet that had helped me with immensely with the book project. So lying, I slept in the office. I just had a sleeping bag and a pad. There was a bunch of people staying in the house. Mm -hmm. So I slept in the guy's office, the fellow who always had the house. So it was kind of connected to the front porch and it was autumn. And I think the window might've been open a little bit, but when I woke up, there was an owl hooting right outside the window. Now this is the place in the woods in New Hampshire. That's the kind of place to have owls. But so like minutes before my hypnosis session, there's an owl hooting out the window. So I go through hypnosis. Now what Mary did, was went through and she basically said, you know, let's go to the points that you need to explore. So we we kind of hopscotched around a bunch of stuff and it was a little chaotic. It's tough to listen to it because all of a sudden it's kind of like how I talk sometimes. We're like start here and we're over there and then we come back and then we're here. So it was a little bit, but this story emerged, this one story emerged and it was associated with that night on March 10th, 2013. Later, so a lot of stuff happened there and I transcribed that thing and it was some interesting things came up, but it was kind of chaotic. It was jumping around a bunch. Oh, it's a hummingbird right outside my window right now. And then I, I I'm telling you the hummingbird. <laughs> well, we have a lot of them here, so I got to be careful, but you know, like yeah. there's a lot of hummingbirds out this window, but so anyway, but I did notice it right then and there. So a year later in 2018, I was in LA and I, I contacted Devon Smith who lives in, I think she's in, San Diego. Southern California. Yeah. yeah. I interviewed and, her a few weeks ago. Yeah. Okay. So she's great. And both her, and it was funny, I should be careful what I say. Both of them kind of, or Yvonne kind of said, how was your session with Mary? You could tell it was kind of like, what's, what's the, you know, how was, because everyone's got their little things and everyone's got, so it's like, oh, it was great. It was great. And we talked a little bit about just funny little things that Mary did. And I could say the same thing to Mary about what Yvonne does, which is these, I mean, you're taking someone Anyway, so that was like sort of that's kind of like I don't want to sound catty or anything like that, but it was professional funny. curiosity. Professional that's a what's a wonderful, nice way to put it. So I tell Yvonne, I want to explore this one night of March tenth, twenty thirteen. I've already written about it in books. I've like given this talk a lot of times. I I love giving this talk. It's powerful. It's a, to me it's mind blowing. So she's great. And I and I have no fear associated with that night. No fear at all associated with that night. Before I, we talked for a little bit, and we said, so what do you want to cover in this and that? And I said, hey, hey, while I'm under, can you ask me about the owls? Like, just what's up with the owls? She said, of course. Mm. It's great. So we, I went under. Now, we were at the point where I was like, she kind of took me down the induction, which is basically like a visualization of walking down some stairs. And each step, you get deeper into your unconscious. And I've, like, I've been attempted hypnosis a few times, and I've been hypnotized a few times. It's kind of weird in the sense that it's, it's like, I don't, it doesn't feel like much, but she asks a question I answer and, and, you know, like, I didn't know where that answer came from. So I'm like, it feels like I'm blurting things out that I'm like, I'm not, I'm not trying to formulate anything. It just out of come. So I also will say I'm very cautious to take the, the hypnosis seriously. A lot of people are very critical of hypnosis as they should be. But at the same time, it's like, I'm like desperate for answers. Like, I'm desperate. So yeah, there's a neediness in me that maybe that's a bad combination. But so I'm 
describe myself lying next to my car in southern Utah. There's the bush there. And she's kind of saying, what's happening? I'm like, well, it's pretty. The stars are out. It's kind of cold. I'm warm in the sleeping bag. She's okay. What? So she asks a few more questions. It's like, so what? And then all of a sudden I go, it's them. It's them. It's them. I know it's them. I know it's them. I know it's them. It's them. It's them, meaning someone's that bright light is behind. There's a bright light behind the bush, and I know it's them. I have this transcribed and put in one of my books, but and then I say, I'm looking down at this big thing. It's like a big black shape. It's like black, and I'm looking down. It's got some lights around the outside of it. And I'm floating above it. I'm looking down at it. And I'm like floating above the big round structure. Like I'm looking down at it from above. And I think I'm still in the sleeping bag. And she goes, Mike, are you out of body? And I'm like, I don't know, but I'm looking down this thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoosh, I'm walking down this hall. And I'm in this hall, and it's kind of a curved hall, and it kind of curves around like an inside of a donut, you know, like, so the implication of is inside a round thing. And it's kind of science fiction-y looking in there and such. And so the first thing I notice is I'm not tall. Now I'm six foot tall, and I was short. I noticed it right away, like I'm short. And I look to my right, and there's this gray being with big black eyes and a bald head about my size. And I look to my left and there's a big gray being with bald head and black eyes right next to me, about my size. And she's like, look down at yourself. And I look down at myself and I got these long, long fingers and I'm wearing this tiny, shiny spacesuit, and I got this super skinny body. And I go, I think I'm a gray alien. And she didn't skip a beat. What happens next? We talked about this a little bit afterwards. I can feel you in, but she was just like, what happens next? And the next now, thing- Was this, was this, this is Mary Rodwell or Yvonne? Both. But I use Yvonne to tell this story because it's less disjointed. Like you could play both transcriptions there. It's, you know what it was like? It was like watching, you know, when you turn a TV on and there's a rerun. It's like, hey, I saw this mm-hmm. episode before. And then you sit through and watch the whole episode again, like frame for frame. Like it's the exact same thing. It was frame for frame, the same episode. So Yvonne says, what happens next? And all of a sudden, I don't know how it happens, but I'm in this room. And this does not feel like a science fiction room in a flying saucer. It feels like a crappy conference room in like a cheap hotel in Muncie, Indiana, right? So it's got like beige carpeting and fluorescent lights and folding tables and folding chairs. And I'm standing there in the middle of the room. It's in, and this feels like there's two beings behind me. And I'm looking ahead. And like guardians? This, I think it was like the two beings that walked me down the hall. That's what it felt like. I never turned okay. around, so I don't know. I think in, in various literature, there's always like when you're talking about your higher self and your spirit guides and things like that, there's this sort near, of thing. Comes near up death experiencers talk about like, oh, I was in the realm and there was like the beings were behind me. And I kind of like, I didn't, I don't remember turning around, but they felt like they were right there. It, you know what it felt like? It felt like I was like in a military tribunal, kind of grand jury hearing or something like that. And those, they were two like guards, like you're not getting out of here, buddy. Like, you know, kind of two cops basically <laughs> behind me. And then at the table, there was about eight, like it felt like a cheap folding table. And it was about, let's say eight, maybe around that. I never saw them. They were kind of grayed out, you know, kind of fuzzed out. I said grayed out, but it felt like they were gray aliens. I never quite saw them. I don't have any memory of seeing them in the hypnosis session. 
And let me tell you what, like there's no room like this on a flying saucer. You know what it felt like? You know when you watch Saturday Night Live and they have a set? It's like a super yeah. cheap set. It's called a, it's called a three wall set. It's like a three walls and then it's open to the audience. It felt like the cheapest three wall set you could build. Like someone had to do it under budget and like, let's just get some crappy carpeting and get some folding tables. And, and so they made a little set. That's what it felt like. So I'm standing there and I look at these group beings and I'm like, what am I doing here? And they say, you volunteered for this. Like, what does that mean? I volunteered for this. What am I doing? I'm here right now. What am I doing there? And they say, now is the time. Now is the time. What does that mean? I don't get it. Now is the time. What am I doing here? You volunteered for this. What next? We get this thing and like, you volunteered for this. Now is the time. And we got into this kind of like stuck. And then all of a sudden, I totally break down. This gets super emotional. Like, and I'm kind of, I don't want to make light of the power of this, but like I completely broke down, started sobbing and swearing and just like, and Yvonne was like, and Mary was the same way. Like, why are you so emotional? What's happening? I'm like, they never told me it would be this hard being here. They never told me about pain. They never told me about loneliness. They never told me about sadness. They didn't tell me it would be this hard being here. And the implication was that I had somehow come from where they are. I incarnated in this physical body I have now. And I was like angry that they had duped me. They had tricked me into coming here because they didn't tell me that there was loneliness and pain and sorrow. And, and so I am furious, like furious, like swearing. And Yvonne's trying to console me and like, just Mike, you know, why are you so emotional? And this goes on. This is like, this is gut wrenching to listen to on the recording. And I'm like, they didn't tell me they didn't. It's like, what, what do they want? And I'm screaming like, they want me to play some role. I'm like, this is up. They like, they never told me about this. This is like, I am pissed. They're like, never it they don't understand like then what do they want like they want me to play some role that i don't know what it is but they want me to do it and i don't have any choice and it's like the last line is sort of like like you know what do they want and i scream they want me to play some role and then at that point you can hear me i'm like like veins bulging out of my head i'm as tense as i've ever been in my life just like screaming crying sobbing tears rolling out of my eyes and I scream, they want me to play some role. And then there's like this, you can hear it in the audio. You can hear me going. <sighs> and it felt like if you took a, you know, those pool toys, like those like floaty mattress pool toy things. Yeah, yeah. You blew one up, so tight, so tight, so tight. And he popped it in. I think I timed it. I was almost a minute, total silence. I would argue. I felt my breathing just stopped. I, I felt like, obviously my heart did not stop, but that's what it felt like all of a sudden I went from, I just like, and I just like, and after about a minute, Yvonne says, and what happened next? And I go, I think I'm back in the sleeping bag. And I'm kind of lucid and open and we're talking and she asks some questions and she's like, what do you think they want you to know? Or what do you think's hidden from me? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, you can tell Mike, you can tell me, Mike, what's hidden. I'm like, I don't know. You know, and I said, this is under hypnosis. I said, you know what it feels like? Like in a spy movie, if you're the spy and you have the envelope with the secrets in it, you're not allowed to open that envelope. 
right? Maybe there'd be a day when you can open it, but you can't open it. So that's what it felt like. And then she says, which I asked her earlier, she said, and Mike, I told her, you know, ask me what's up with the owls. So kind of at the end, I'm all of a sudden lucid. I'm talking. I'm no longer emotional. She said, and Mike, what is your connection to owls? And I should be able to do this off the top of my head. Pretty close. I kind of said, I kind of struggle a little bit. I say, well, like, I'm an artist, and I know the meaning of a symbol, and I know the importance of a symbol, and I kind of struggle and mumble. And then I say it clear as a bell. I go, the owls aren't important. The owl is a symbol on a door. The owl is the correct symbol for the door, but the owls aren't important. The symbol is important. We are on this side of the door. And I pictured in my mind like a little hallway, like in a cheap motel, like a narrow little tight hallway. We are on this side of the door. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness. And then that was it. it I didn't know where that came from. It sounded different. When you listen to hypnosis, people talk very quietly and very slowly under hypnosis. And I was open and clear speaking and recited that like poetry. I don't know where it came from. I asked her afterwards, do you think I could have been channeling? And she said, well, how would I know? Which is a good answer. <laughs> so yeah. now I just got to back up and I got to say this, like I am cautious to take this literally because I look like my parents, right? I'm me, I'm here. I don't have any sense that I'm like, incarnate from some other planet and I arrived here. So that to me is just like, a, it's a story. It's a pretty good story, but it's just a story for me. And I like stories. So I'm kind of like, mm -hmm. well, I'll, okay, I can, I can take it in as a story. Is it but really it might not be a story? I don't know. It might not be, it might be real. It might, but I can't, if I went down that Avenue and tried to prove it, I would make myself crazy. I'm very content saying, wow, what an interesting thing that happened to me now. After all this, after the hypnosis, I had never put this together until after the hypnosis session with Yvonne. I did a hypnosis session a year earlier with Mary Rodwell, same story. Saw the rerun, same story again, same emotional power. After the event with Yvonne, 2018, I realized, so this is all centered around that night on March 10th, 2013 below the round structure on the hill when I was driving back from the UFO conference. The next day, I had the visionary experience of the line and the map. And then the day after, I started writing the book, The Messengers. I started that less than 48 hours after that night under the hilltop with the round structure on it. And if the story is to be taken literally, I went onto that craft out of body, somehow like walked into a rubber suit that looked like a gray alien, like a, some organics. Like, I don't know what, like, I don't know how I. By, by, by the way, that's in some of the literature. I think Whitley Strieber has written about seeing like gray bodies stacked like cordwood in a closet. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, what? and I, I talked about this with Mary Rodwell while under hypnosis, which is a great little visual, it felt like there was a rubber suit. This is what I said under hypnosis said, it felt like there was a rubber suit waiting for me. And I just like whoosh, 
glided right into the suit and started walking down the hall. That's what it felt like. I don't know if that's true, but that's what I said under hypnosis. So, and then the culmination of all that is me screaming, like freaking pissed off, like mad as I can, mad and emotional and sobbing. I said, they want me to play some role. Less than 48 hours, I started writing the book, The Messengers, which has defined my life for the last eight years. Now, I know it's only an interpretation, but who is they? I mean, you kind of alluded that, that it was whoever these gray beings so, are. Sure. Like, I'm like, are they beings on a metal flying saucer from another planet that come to visit here? I can wrap my mind around that, but it falls apart when you start getting into all the synchronicities. Like, wow, how do they do that? Like, how do they, how do they line that stuff up on a map? I mean, how do they, how, they, someone, somehow that did it. Did I do it through my own? So I am, <clears throat> as far as they, I am more like it, I, it may be entirely beings from another planet on a metal flying saucer. I don't think it is. Partially, it might be. The term I'm lately I've been using, which I'm more content with, is the myth makers. I would argue that mm. the, the ancient mythology of the owl, the mythology of the owl is the owl can see into the dark, right? Ancient man would have recognized that is astonishing that a bird can fly through the forest at night. Now, nighttime doesn't mean much to us now that we have electric light bulbs, right? Nighttime was something else entirely before the advent of the electric light bulb. So imbued in us is this, the night is a time of testing, it's a time of fear. So the owl is at home in that environment. So the owl flies through the night and that becomes symbolic of flying through the unconscious, flying to the realms of our ancestors, flying to the realms of the gods, to the land of the dead. And the owl then can come back with a message. That's at the core of many of the world's traditions in some form or another, the mythology of the owl. So, and I've, I feel like there would have been a day, turn the clock back 500 years before Columbus. And if you were living out in the plains of South Dakota and you had a powerful visionary experience with an owl or a hummingbird or a deer or a coyote, you would have had an outlet. You could have talked to the people in your village. You could have mm -hmm. gone to the teepee. That's going to be kind of a curious fellow, a man or a woman that like plays the role of the village shaman or the medicine man or the wise man or the crone or whatever term you want to use. And you could talk to this individual and said, I had this mystical experience. Can you help me with it? And then they would, given the folklore of their particular village or their valley or their tribe, they would be nuanced, but they would help you work through this event, right? So uh, we don't have that anymore in Western society. I've become that person for the people who have owl and UFO experiences. I'm not a mystic. I'm not a shaman, but people are coming to me like that. And I, if nothing else, I can say, you're not alone in that experience because I've got hundreds of other reports that are just like yours. And that alone, that very simple fact that I can share that with people brings a great amount of solace. So I'm not a therapist. I'm not a clinician. I cannot pretend I am, but I can say you're not alone. I feel strong saying that. So I am content calling them the myth makers. So the same myths that emerged in our ancient lore through archetypal means or through orchestrated means like it felt like this was orchestrated it felt like 
I was trapped in that little town. My, I could not leave. My car wouldn't let me leave. I was like alone in a sleeping bag in one spot. And then the exact spot where Natasha and I were lined up in that thing. Like if that felt orchestrated by forces beyond myself, I can't say that it was, but I can certainly say that is how it feels. So yeah, you asked what the source is. And I would argue that it, it is an eternal force that has been with us since the dawn of human history. And it's just showing up now in the form of metal flying saucers and skinny little beings with white uniforms on where, you know, 2000 years ago, they would have been wearing togas and, you know, olive branches in their, in their hair. So. They were showing up as angels and demons. And sure. Exactly. And yeah. Have you had any experiences since then? Well, so since when? Since 2013? I feel like I have synchronicities all the time, and I don't try to weight things one more than the other. So, <laughs> so I'm working on a fiction book now, and this fiction book has been written in a cloud of synchronicities that has boggled my mind and has kept me like there's plenty of times I was ready to like say this like no in fact I did throw in the towel and put the book on the shelf for years and then picked it up again started working on it again so I feel like I try not to a powerful synchronicity has just I don't want to say like a flying saucer in the sky is more important than a powerful synchronicity they are both magic so I'm, I don't try to wait one more than the other. So I'm still immersed in this cloud of synchronicity as I see owls all the time. Not all the time, but more. I mean, I, I live in a place with a lot of owls, so it should be. So I'm in a place where it'd be easy to see them, but I see a lot of owls still. And when you see them, is there anything you're thinking at that particular moment? That's... That's One the question I ask other people too. So if I, if sometimes if I don't, if it's not highly charged, I don't worry about it too much. But this is going back a couple months, a few months ago. There's a park right across the street from me. It's really pretty, and it, and I was just I do a little walk there. It's so I can just at the end of the day I can walk around at sunset and be home, and I can take great. It's beautiful. So I remember I was walking one day, and I try not to do this, but I was like, there was just it had this magic to the night, and the sun was setting, and it was going to be, and I was like, wow, I'd love this would be a really good night to see an owl. And I saw an owl that night. So and it was, and I got a picture of it. it's really grainy and one of those camera pictures, but it looks super spooky because it's so grainy. So. You asked what it was leading up to, and I said, this would be a good night to see an owl. And I try not to say that because I don't want to jinx what I what I think is should be reverent and holy, and, and I don't want to, like, I don't need to prove anything, right? So in a detective novel, the detective doesn't need to, if he finds one bullet shell in the bushes, he doesn't have to go back to the bushes again later in the story and find the same bullet shell again. It's like, he got his clue. So Now, if someone has an owl experience that is strange in some way, what do you recommend them to do? How should they reach out to you? And by the way, your information will be in the... So well, one way to do it is Google UFOs and owls and my site will come right up. And then on my site, my my main site now is called mikeclellan.com, all one word. And right there at the top says, here's how to contact me and I want to hear your owl stories. So there's a little form there you can fill out. And then I, I try to get back to everyone. Oh my gosh, I, I'm failing lately. I'm in the throes right now of finishing up this book and it's taken over my life. 
so I have not gotten back to a, a bunch of folks and it breaks my heart. So I apologize to those. If anyone's listening and I haven't gotten back to you, just try again. Just you're allowed to pester me if I don't get back to you. Before we end, can you say a little bit about, more about your book so that and when people should look for it and when do you anticipate it'll be? What's the date? It's May 1st. I want to get it. So two weeks from today. Good God. <laughs> so two weeks from today, I want to try to put it out on May 15th. An astrologer friend of mine kind of said, eh, that would be a good day to put out the book. And I'm like, great. Well, that's so that was that's my target day. I'm going to try to stick to that. It's tough to say, right? How many stories I've heard, how many stories I have in a file, how many stories are just kind of like floating around on the ether of my brain, how many stories I've read. So I've I got a thousand like A plus stories of owls and UFOs, which is not much compared to something someone like Whitley Strieber and what he's collected. But I'm I'm he's looking at one big continuum. I'm looking at the narrowest little sliver of a continuum. I mean, like it's just like owls and UFO, and that's it. So within those stories, there's kind of a mood and a feel and a vibe. The story involves one individual who kind of walks off into the desert, a little unclear why he does it. And the few, only I think six people on earth have read the book at this point besides me. And all of them came back to me with the same kind of like, oh, this, like, I did not expect to enjoy this book that much. And they did not know where it was going. And I really didn't know where it was going when I started it either. Kind of had some ideas. So the fellow walks into the desert and kind of arrives in a kind of twilight zone, kind of idyllic little town in the desert. And then there's the convergence of I don't want to give too much away. There's lots of spoilers. I don't want to, but there's spies. There's kind of secret government stuff. It's a little bit of X-Filey there. There's a little bit of romance in there. Lots of mystery. I never use the word UFO. I never use the word abduction. I never use the word flying saucer. I never use the word alien. I did that all on purpose. I wanted someone to pick this book up, read the whole thing and not even know it was about UFOs. So in the very first page, I write, the story is fiction the emotions are real so it is very much a story about the emotions of the people trying to make sense of this mystery fascinating well i can't wait to to read it and hopefully it'll be out by may 15th and folks can check it out so thank you very much mike Thanks for letting time. me the, the the coffee, the combination of coffee, like worked <laughs> great. Like I was felt like I was on a roll here. Thank you so much for letting me just like purge this story that like has been so vital to like the, the person I've become in the last decade or so. Well, thank you for sharing it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. If you enjoyed this video, please click on like, subscribe, and the notification button so that you're alerted anytime I post something new. Oh, my God.